Good morning. Good to see everybody this morning, and uh, I want to remind everybody, you, you may have heard, uh, but if you're, maybe you're visiting with us for the first time, this coming Thursday, we have a, a big event here at Southside. We are hosting uh, the Heaven is for Real live event. Some of you may have read the book by Todd Burpo that recounts his family's experience when their son, Colton, um, had a close call with a, sort of an emergency, a medical emergency that happened, and when he... Uh, when he woke up from that, as the story began to unfold over the next few months, he began to recount things that he saw while he was uh, on the table being operated, and, and it's a remarkable story, and uh, that family, they made a movie of it back in April. Some of you might have been with us last week when we went across the street to San Marco Theater to, to watch that, but we are having the Burpo family here on Thursday night. Uh, they will be with us two times at 5.30 and at 8 o'clock. And so hopefully you've already gotten some tickets, invited some friends, some neighbors to come and be a part of this event. It's gonna, there's going to be live music. It's uh, going to be a wonderful time. Hope you'll be here. If you have not already gotten tickets for 530, unfortunately, the tickets for 530 are gone, unless some of you have tickets you're not using. They're free tickets, but they, they do mean a seat in the room. So if you have a ticket that maybe you're not using for 530, bring it back. We may have a few extras that way, but otherwise, 5.30 is sold out. Uh, at 8 o'clock, we do still have some tickets available, so you can get those at Information Station today if you're interested in coming and being a part. And we'd encourage you to invite somebody, invite a friend to come uh, and be a part of it Thursday night as well. And as we have gotten ready for this event uh, and be- begin thinking about it, I began to think about what, uh, what would be a good subject for us to talk about maybe the week before and the week after. Uh, I have decided that we would take a couple weeks and just talk about what we're going to hear on Thursday and talk a little bit about heaven and also give you an opportunity to ask questions and for us to respond to you. Inside your program this morning is a card that says this. It says just simply questions about heaven, if you've got one of those. So what I'm going to encourage you to do is after today's message, after Thursday's event, and then next Sunday, again, when we gather together, any questions that you have, write them down on this card Put them in the offering plate. Make sure they get turned into somebody. We're going to produce a special podcast that will be available on our website by Sunday, September 28th, uh, and where we're going to take these questions and just try to answer them. So this is an attempt for us to be interactive here. So keep that card handy and write questions down as we go along, and we're going to look forward to just having this conversation and this dialogue. And today, specifically, what I want to talk about are unexplained supernatural events. What do you do about that? I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but maybe you're talking to somebody, a friend, a neighbor. They may have been a believer. They may not have been a believer. They may have been a Christian. They may not have been. They may have been a churchgoer. I don't know, but maybe maybe you've had a conversation with them where they say something like, I think God spoke to me. I think God said this to me. And, and, and maybe anytime you hear that sort of radar goes up in your mind, which is not a bad thing. If it does, there should always sort of be just, hmm, maybe... This could be really, uh, really weird, or this could be really important. It's one of the two. It's one or the other. There's no middle of the road. Uh, maybe you've seen news reports or, or uh, watch programs where, you know, an image of Jesus is on a piece of toast. I mean, what do you do with Jesus on toast? I don't really know. Or there's a statue somewhere in some cathedral, and it's weeping. I mean, you've, we, we've all heard these kinds of things, and, and honestly, we don't really have a category for those things. So what we do a lot of times is we just say, I really don't know what to do with that, so I'm not going to do anything because I think it's a little weird, and I think it's bizarre, and I think this might be why people don't go to church. (laughs) There's another category of these sort of 
un, uh, you know, sort of unexpected, unexplained things uh, that actually there's a lot of documentation on. And it's, they're called near-death experiences. Raise your hand if you've ever heard of ND. They've even got an abbreviation, ND. Near-death experiences. Uh, there's been a number of these over in recent times. Um, so many that there have been a rash of books. Heaven is for Real is one of them. Maybe some of you have heard of the book 90 Minutes in Heaven, uh, where there was a pastor who was in a terrible car accident, and uh, after he recovered, he recounted what he experienced. He, he, he was also resuscitated, and, and he recounted this experience. What do, what do you do with those stories? I mean, are they real? Are they not real? Uh, there's so many of them, actually, that the, uh, the National Atheist Association... Uh, has has addressed this subject and and in his book Gary uh, of, of Christian apologetics Gary Habermas actually quotes three different atheist philosophers and writers who all three agree that there is so much evidence for something happening in these near death experiences that they're really beginning to question their disbelief in the afterlife. Let me just give you a couple examples. John Beloff writing in the Humanist says that the evidence is so strong that humanists should just admit that there is an afterlife and attempt to interpret it another way besides the existence of God. A.J. Iyer, who's a well-known atheist philosopher, actually himself had a near-death experience. And after he came back from that, he said, after my experience, I now fear that there may be life after death, although I hope I'm wrong. That's what he said. Another fellow, an atheist philosopher by the name of Antony Flew, said there certainly is impressive evidence that there is life after death. He said, it's up to us who are atheists to try to interpret that outside of the existence of God. Now, why do I say that? Why do I give you those examples? Because obviously, whether you're a believer or not a believer, even atheists are are understanding there's something that you can't always explain. What do you do with situations like this. And so I want us today to just talk about this and just say, what do we as Christians, as people who hold to the truth of scripture, how do we respond to circumstances like this? And I want to give you a principle that I hope you can transfer into every area of your life. And and here's, here's basically what it is. The Bible interprets our experiences. Our experiences do not interpret the Bible. The Bible always interprets our experiences. Our experiences don't interpret the Bible. What do I mean by that? I just mean this. Experience may confirm what the Bible teaches, but if and when our experience appears to contradict biblical truth, it is our experience and not biblical truth that must be reevaluated. Now, that's a mouthful. I try to come up with short, pithy statements. You'll remember I just couldn't do it with this one. But So let me say it one more time for you, okay? experience, experience may confirm what the Bible teaches, but if and when our experience appears to contradict biblical truth, it is our experience and not biblical truth that must be reevaluated. You see, all through the ages, going way back into the Middle Ages, when Christians would try to find relics, if you've ever read anything in history, the the Catholic Church made a lot of money off of selling nails that were used to to crucify Jesus, or splinters of wood off the cross, or the Shroud of Turin, right? You've all watched the specials on the History Channel about the Shroud of Turin. They would look at these things, and they would say, see, the Bible is true because of that. Here's the problem. What if the Shroud of Turin turns out to be a fraud? Is the Bible then not true? 
What when they found out that all the little relics, the, the little shards from the cross and the nails were just some, uh, some crooked uh, religious person's way of, of increasing the revenue for the church? When they found out that those things weren't real, did that disprove the Bible? See, as long as we allow our circumstances to interpret the Bible, we run the risk of our circumstances misguiding us and misdirecting us. So it's the Bible that interprets our circumstances and not the other way around. So in this particular case, I want us to say, does the Bible have anything to say about near-death experiences? Is there anything in the Bible that, that lets us know that, yes, God has allowed people to catch a glimpse of what happens after death, a preview, if you will, a glimpse of glory? Or is there sto- are there stories in the Bible of those who have crossed over and come back to tell about it. So here's what I'd like to do. I printed these on the back of your program this morning because there's so many of them, and I've tried to provide the passages of Scripture for you so you can go home and read some of these accounts yourself. But the Bible does give us lots of examples of those who've crossed over. There are two in particular who were taken. I mean, if you, those of you who you know, like conspiracy theories, alien abductions, you know, this might give you a little bit. But there were two people in particular who never died. The Bible says they did not die. They were just transferred out of earth. And then, you know, beam me up. I mean, there have been times, come on, there have been times I'm like, Jesus, take me now. These two guys actually got it. One was named Enoch, and you can read his story in Genesis 5. And the other was Elijah in 2 Kings chapter 2. They were just transferred out, but they didn't... You know, there's, we don't have an account of them and what they experienced. We're not told that. But let me give you some other stories of folks who, were, who died, they experienced death, and they were brought back to life. And I'm going to go through these quickly. In 1 Kings 17, there's a widow whose son was raised by Elijah. In 2 Kings 4, there's another woman whose son is raised by Elijah's disciple, Elisha. Then there's a fella who, when he died, his body came into contact with the bones of Elisha, and he came back to life. In the New Testament, we see Jesus raising people from the dead, the widow's son, the widow of Nain's son in Luke chapter 7, Jairus' daughter in Luke chapter 8. A big one that we may all be familiar with is the story of Lazarus. Lazarus was in the tomb for four days, and Jesus came along and said, Lazarus, come come forth, and and Lazarus came back to life. We're going to talk about him in just a few minutes. Acts chapter 9, a woman named Dorcas was raised by Peter. And then in Acts chapter 20, um, Eutychus, a young man named Eutychus, was raised by Paul. Now, that story is interesting because Eutychus actually uh, fell asleep during Paul's sermon, fell out of a window, and died. And then Paul, you know, raised him back to life, which just reminds me long sermons are dangerous. So I'm going to try to keep this one short. Now, here's here's the truth about all these experiences, because this is important. We do not have any biblical testimony from these individuals about what they experienced between death and their resuscitation. The Bible doesn't say, we don't don't know. I would love to know, Lazarus, what, what, what happened? I mean, what happened to you? You were dead for four days. Tell us about that, Lazarus. The Bible doesn't record that. I would love to be able to ask Jairus' daughter, what did you see? But we don't know. Nobody recorded that for us. Uh, We don't have a testimony from Enoch. He didn't send an email back and let his family know everything was okay. I mean, we don't have these stories from them. But here's what we do have. There are two such accounts for us, at least two such accounts. And one of them is an entire book of your Bible. It's called the book of Revelation. 
And the entire book of Revelation is, is John's vision of heaven. God, uh, John was an old man by the time he wrote it. Uh, if, you rem- if the name John sounds familiar, it should. He was one of Jesus' disciples. He was probably the youngest of Jesus' disciples. He was the only one of the disciples that lived to old age. All the others were martyred for their faith. Most scholars think John was probably about 90 years old when he was finally arrested by the Roman government and he was exiled to the island of Patmos. And while he was on this island, he very clearly tells us while he was in prayer, while he was worshiping one Sunday, God gave him a vision. And he, he wrote down that vision for us, and it's the book of Revelation in your Bible. And in this book, he describes what heaven was like. He does his very best given the limitations of human language to describe what it was like. But that's not the only one. There's another. And it's in a passage of Scripture that, quite honestly, we often fly. It's a flyover passage. We, we, we often hear sermons and messages before it, and we often hear sermons and messages about what happened after it, but these particular verses are often ignored. So if you have a Bible, I want to, I want to invite you to open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, I'll be reading verses 2 through 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, 2 through 5. This is Paul. He's writing to the church at Corinth. And he, he gives an example that, quite honestly, I don't think people know what to do with this. And so we often skip it. We just don't talk about it. But I think it's got something to say to us today uh, about how we handle, how we view testimonies and circumstances that just don't fit in our rational paradigm of today. So let's, let's look at this. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 2 through 5. Paul is saying, I know a man in Christ. Basically, this man was a Christian. He's saying, this guy is a follower of Jesus. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, so this is not a new story. This is something that's been going on. There, this story's probably circulated for 14 years. This happened a long time ago. 14 years ago, was caught up to the third heaven. And that's right. That we, this is why we don't talk about this verse. Because we don't know what to do with that. What is the third heaven? And there have been people who've argued and debated, and you can read books about this. I, I'm pretty simple. So let me tell you what I, simply what I think. In the Hebrew and in the Greek mindset, you have sort of two planes of existence. You have Hades, or the underworld, and you have, you have everything above earth. And, and everything above earth is called heaven and everything below earth is called Hades. So when we stand upon the earth in some Greek mindset, you are in the first level of heaven. Okay. That's it's, They don't mean the same thing we mean when you talk about paradise or where God is. It's just the first level. The, then the second level would sort of be that, that atmosphere above where you can see the clouds, where the birds, you got to remember they didn't have airplanes. Nobody was flying anywhere. That was out of their reach. It was up above. So when Paul says the third heaven, I just think he means the heaven that exists beyond what we can see. So, he, so he's, he's saying here, I know this guy, he's a Christian. 14 years ago, he was caught up into heaven, and then he goes on from there. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows. Now, what he's saying by that is he's saying, listen, I don't know if he died and, and actually went there. I don't know if he just was having a vision. I really don't know. God knows. And it's almost as if Paul is saying, but that's really not what's, what's important here. Okay? God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into, and then here we get the word that I think explains the third heaven. He was caught up into paradise. 
This is why I think it simply, when Paul said the third heaven, it simply means what you and I understand as heaven. Heaven beyond what we can see, somewhere else, somewhere other. He was caught up into, into paradise, whether in the body or out of the body. Again, he says, I don't know. It doesn't, it's not important to the testimony or the story. God knows. And here he, here he says this, and he heard things that cannot be told, which, may not, which man may not utter. Now, that's an interesting, interesting phrase that Paul is saying there. And it can mean one of two things, and I think it probably means both of them to some degree. This man obviously had an experience where he went to heaven. Paul says that he, he saw it. And I don't know whether he was dead or alive, whether it was a vision. I don't know. I can't explain that. We know that John did not die to experience heaven. He was given a vision of it. But this guy went to heaven, and he saw things that man may not utter. Now, that can mean a couple things. The first is that it may mean that God said to this guy, don't tell anybody what you saw. Don't tell him about this. We know in the book of Revelation, there are components of the story where God clearly tells the apostle John, don't write this down. Don't tell people, don't, don't write this down. There's a period of, in heaven of silence and John, there, there's a whole series of seven things that happen and John is not allowed to record that. So we know that God told John, don't record this, don't show other people, God forbid it. This is why if ever you hear somebody who does what I do tell you that they've got a chart and they figured out when Jesus is coming back based on the timeline in the Bible, they are crazy. They, because you can't. Because God clearly did not tell John or give John permission to tell us everything. There are things we don't know and that's God's intention. That is God's intention. So the other thing it may mean is that there are things that the human language cannot capture. There are things that just can't be told because there aren't words. And you and I have experienced this, haven't we? Haven't you had an experience? And, and it could have been the height of joy or the depth of pain. But in either place, like, I, I, don't know, I don't know how to tell you what I'm feeling. I don't know how to tell you what I'm saying. I don't, I can't, I don't have the, there are no words. There are no words. This is what John experienced when he saw heaven. This is why John uses the words like and as so much in the book of Revelation. Because what he does is he says, listen, this is really good. And it's better than anything on earth you could ever see, hope, or, or dream about, or imagine. And there's nothing on earth that comes close, but let me try. That, that the street is like gold. In other words, the least valuable metal there is the most valuable thing here. You know, what we use for asphalt, you know, is something that we don't, it's, we've got a, a, a lot of big supply of pieces. It's like in heaven, it's like gold is like asphalt. It doesn't mean anything. We just walk on it. I mean, he's, it, does that mean that the street is literally made of gold? I don't know. Maybe it is. But that's not John's point. He's saying the gate is like, it's, it's like a pearl. It's like made of pearl. The, the, the sea is like crystal. Does that mean it's literally crystal? I don't know. I don't know. John is just doing the best he can with the language that we have. He just said, there are not words to describe to you how good this is. You think about what is best, and, and that comes... That, that may come close, but, but not really. So it could be that God said to this guy that Paul's talking about, you're not allowed to tell anybody of what you've seen. Or it could be that this guy just simply didn't have the words to say, and I think it's probably both. Now, here's, 
here's what I want us to take away from this passage in 2 Corinthians 12 and also from the idea of the book of Revelation as it relates to how we as Christians respond to these sort of unexplainable, uh, unexplainable circumstances. I think it's important to understand the purpose behind both of these biblical accounts. I think, I think there's, there's a reason why Paul wrote this down. There's a reason why John wrote this down. And the first one is this, that it's to encourage believers. It's an encouragement for believers. Paul wrote his letter to the Corinthians. John wrote his, the revelation was delivered to the seven churches of Asia Minor. These were believers who were being persecuted, tortured. They were experiencing horrible, horrible things here on earth. And both of these guys, I think, are saying, hold on. There's something better coming. This isn't all there is. I mean, this was an encouragement for them. And don't we need that every now and then? You might not need it now, and my guess is the younger you are, the less you think you need it. But just wait. Life will catch up to you. Just wait. Just hold on. Because there's going to come a time where you realize, as long as I'm living in this fallen, broken world, there is going to be a level of pain and hurt that will always be true. And there's got to be something more than this existence. There's got to be something more than a place where people who who love the Lord and seek to do good are diagnosed with terrible, horrible diseases and die terrible, horrible deaths. There's got to be something more than, than, than young adults who die too soon and leave behind their families. There's got to be something more than that. There's got to be something more than terrorists. There's got to be something more than war. There's got to be something more than corrupt government officials. There's got to be more than that. And the Bible says over and over again, there is. Hold on. Don't give up. Be hopeful. Heaven is real. That's what the, you don't need, you don't need the burpos to tell you that. The Bible has been telling you that for thousands of years. But I think sometimes we become so complacent in our life here that we forget there's something better. No matter how good this gets, there's something better better. It's for the encouragement of the believers. The second reason is this, that it's a witness to unbelievers. These stories were given as a witness to say, listen, there is something more than this life. Have you thought about that? Maybe you're here today and you're not a Christian and you're just checking the whole thing out. And you, I don't even know what the Christian faith is, is really about. Can, can I give it to you in the simplest form possible? Christianity, what we teach, the teachings of Jesus, the message of Jesus is just this. God has made a way for you to experience eternity with him. Away from the brokenness and the pain of this world. He's made a way for you. And so these stories are given as a witness to unbelievers. Do you know that today, here's another one of those examples of things we just don't have categories for. Uh, many of you know we have a partnership in North Africa, Middle East, and uh, we've got some folks who work in that region of the world. They've given their life there. Do you know when we talk to these people, they are telling us stories of Muslims in, in unreached areas of the Middle East who are having visions of Jesus Christ, and they are seeking out at the risk of their own life Christians who they can ask, can you explain to me what this vision means? I mean, God is giving these people visions and images of the gospel that they've never heard before. They've never had access to before. I don't know what to do with that story. Other than to say, maybe God's tired of waiting on me to go tell them. 
And that he doesn't, he, you know, he, he wants me to join him and I need to join him out of obedience, but God isn't dependent on me. That he's given them. And so they're coming and churches are being formed. People are asking for Bibles because they've had these visions of this Jesus, his crucifixion and his resurrection. It's a powerful, powerful example. Why does God allow that to happen? Because God will go to any length to reach every person on the planet with the message of the gospel and the good news that heaven is real. And Christ is the way to get there. Now, we are all subject to death. But listen, our hope as believers is not in a near-death experience. It's not. Our hope is not that maybe somehow God, you know, if if something happens to me or something happens to one of my loved ones, that, that they'll be resuscitated. And then they'll have a great story about what they saw. Or maybe they won't. I don't know. Maybe they will. That's not where our our hope is. You see, the people who experience resuscitation, all the people that I mentioned with the exception of Enoch and Elijah, they eventually experience physical death. Resuscitation is temporary, but resurrection is permanent. You see, when Jesus showed up to raise Lazarus from the dead, and he was talking to Lazarus' sisters who were grieving, listen to what he said in John chapter 11, verse 25. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection of life. Whoever believes in me, here it comes, though he dies, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? You see, Jesus' hope for Lazarus wasn't that he was going to pull him out of the tomb. Because whether Lazarus lived another five years, another 10 years, another 20 years, Jesus knew Lazarus was going to die again and and he would just have to be resuscitated over and over and over and over again. That was not the hope. The hope was complete, complete conquest over death itself. That happens by resurrection. And Jesus said, that's me. I'm the way. I'm the resurrection. I'm the life. And though somebody dies, yet in me they can live. God wants us to face eternity with the confidence of knowing that he has prepared a place for us, that he has made a way for us. And we don't have to be afraid. So my question for you is how much have you thought about that? How much have you thought about the real existence of heaven? And and what does it mean to be a part of that? Is it just because you're good enough? I mean, a lot of people have tried that. Is it just because you think or believe the right things? A lot of folks have have tried that. Or is there something else? I would say it's a relationship with Jesus Christ. I want to tell you a story today that um, I don't have a category for. I've never shared it in public. Um, it's, it's It's a personal story related to my family. And honestly, I've never shared it in public because I don't know, I don't know what to do with it. So I'm just going to tell you. Um, when I was nine or ten years old, uh, my mom uh, gave birth to my sister. Uh, my sister was uh, born and my mom hemorrhaged. And she actually, uh, they, they lost her. She was, for more than a minute, they worked, the doctors worked to resuscitate my mom. And uh, they, were, they were able to do that. And she, um, eventually when she woke up and she was telling us about it, she, she told us that while she was out of it. She doesn't remember anything that happened, but she says she had a dream. I don't know whether it was a dream. I don't, I don't think it matters, but she, here's what she said. She said, so I was, you know, before I woke up, I had this dream, and I was just kind of in a, 
in a dark place and, and there was a light up here and there was my family here. And she said, I, I felt peace, I felt hope, and I was content and I wanted, to, I wanted to just stay there. I wanted to go towards that light. I just wanted to stay there. She said, but I felt this, I felt this warm sensation just pushing me back towards my family. She said, that's, what I, that's all I remember. Now, I, I don't know. I don't know what to do with that. I really hesitated to even share that story with you because it evokes emotions and it, you know, what do you do with stories like that? What do you do when people tell you that? Here's what I think you do. I think you look and you say, it's the Bible that interprets our experiences, not our experiences that interpret the Bible. I know that my mother believed that. I know that. I know she believed that. 18 years later, 18 years after that, uh, my mom, uh, came down with an illness, and she was um, in the ICU at Baptist Medical Center. And we knew, the family knew, that uh, she wasn't going to make it. I mean, we just had hours left. And I um, went into a little prayer chapel there, and, you know, I was, uh, at the time, I was 28 years old, serving on staff at a church. Um, I've got two young children, uh, a wife, you know, my, the, my, the rest of my family. Um, I'm trying to figure out how do I I don't even, I don't have any sense of comfort myself. I, I really don't know how to comfort them. I really don't know what to say. Uh, which, you know, in my position, you know, I, I'm sort of paid to know what to say in situations like that. But when it's your own family, you know, what do you say? You don't, you don't know what to say. And I, I was, I, and I couldn't pray. If, if you've ever had those sense, you know, that sense where you're praying, you're praying, you're praying, but you just feel like your prayers are just hitting a, a, a wall I couldn't hear. All of a sudden, in a moment, I remembered. I remembered what? My mom had told me about her experience when we almost lost her 18 years ago. And like that, I knew. Those 18 years were a gift. My 18-year-old sister, who somehow I was going to have to say something to her about why at a, such a pivotal point, point in a young woman's life she was going to be without a mother, I knew what I was going to say. I was going to say the reality is those 18 years were a gift. Because we should... We probably should have lost her 18 years ago when you were born and you would have never even known her. And all of a sudden I understood. You see, I, I, I can't explain what happened to her. I, I, don't, I don't expect you to believe that story. I, it doesn't matter. But here's what I do know. In that moment, God used that to bring comfort that I believe was based on scriptural truth. That is, don't take any moment for granted. Don't ever take a moment for granted. Now, now, here's what I want to leave you with today. Because ultimately, you don't have to believe um, my mom's story. I mean, it could have just been a reaction, a chemical reaction of synopsis in the brain with, for lack of oxygen. I'm, I'm, you know, if that's what you believe, I'm okay to say that, that may be true. I don't know. You don't have to believe that story. You don't have to believe the story that you're going to hear Thursday about Colton Burpo. You don't have to believe the pastor who wrote 90 Minutes in Heaven. You don't have to believe any of those stories. You don't even have to believe the story that Paul told in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. You don't even have to believe that story. But there is one thing you do have to believe in order to experience the hope of heaven yourself. And we find this in Romans 10, 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. There's only one resurrection story that you have to believe and that's the story of jesus and so i leave you today with this question if if 
heaven is real, and if the Bible is true, then we know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And that whoever comes to him and confesses him as Lord doesn't have to worry. And you don't have to depend on what society says or somebody's near-death experience. You can know for certain, based on what God has done for you in Christ Jesus, that your eternity is secure with him forever. Will you pray with me? With your heads bowed, I uh, just want to give you the opportunity in this moment to say if, if you are somebody who's here today who just has questions, um, uncertainties about heaven, about what happens after this life, maybe there's a level of anxiety, even fear. Um, I just want you to know that God, God has sought to give you answers in the word, and I would encourage you to pick up your Bible this week. And to read, to read about the resurrection of Jesus, to read the hope that comes when we understand what he's done for us. That it doesn't depend on us being good enough and just hoping we make it in. That it's based on what Jesus has done for us and that if we just confess him as Lord and believe that God raised him from the dead, that it's as simple as that. And maybe you've still got questions and I'm just glad you're here and I'm glad you're pursuing answers. And maybe today, for the first time, you would say, yeah, I get that. I, I, I get that. I don't understand it all, but somewhere in the depth of my heart, I believe that a loving God would make it just that easy. My, my offer to you is just to, in this moment, you don't have to come forward. You don't have to say anything, but just in the depth of your heart, would you just pray this prayer? God, I know. I know that on my own, I'll never make it. But I believe that you sent Jesus to make a way for me to get to heaven. And I confess him as the leader of my life. He's the one I'm going to follow. And I believe that you've raised him from the dead and therefore Therefore, you have power over death. If you prayed that, you meant it in the depth of your heart, you can be assured that God's heard your prayer and he's already responded. Father, thank you for the message of the gospel. Thank you that the Bible tells us everything we need to know. Help us to use it as the filter for all of our experiences and all the things the world would tell us. Father, thank you for encouraging stories, encouraging testimonies. Thank you that you're a God who still performs miracles. And Lord, we can't explain it. We don't have a box for it, but that's because you don't fit in a box, and we're so grateful for that. So Lord, we pray the truth of your word would penetrate each of our hearts and would transform us to live like heaven is real and now. For we pray this in the strong and powerful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.